I want to start this morning uh, by simply acknowledging that there is a question that is asked by all different people of all different walks of life, different ages. Uh, I believe that no one is exempt from asking this question at some point in their life. And the question goes like this. It's, who's going to love me? Who's going to love me? Consider the 75-year-old woman who trades in her longtime home for a a single-room apartment in an assisted care facility. And she wonders, who's going to love me? Or or maybe the 54-year-old man who has watched his wife die too young. And now he lays in a bed that he used to share with the woman of his dreams. And he stares at the ceiling and he wonders, who's going to love me? Or or maybe it's the 36-year-old woman who has watched her husband walk away, perhaps into the arms of another. And now she's faced with the reality of the brokenness of divorce, shattered dreams, and she wonders, who's going to love me? I believe every teenager wrestles with this same kind of question. You know, will I be accepted? Will I be one of the popular kids? Is somebody going to ask me to prom? And at the heart of all of those questions is the deeper question of who's going to love me. Perhaps you've asked that question in your own life at some point. Maybe you're asking it right now, who's going to love me? Well, I want you to know Uh, that God is not surprised by our deep desire to answer this question. He created us, and he knows our longing to be loved. And in his great grace, God has provided for us the answer to the question, who's going to love me? Jesus actually answers this question for us in John chapter 10. And I want to invite you, if you brought your Bible, uh, to turn to John chapter 10 with me this morning. If you didn't bring your Bible, that's okay. These verses are going to be up on our screens. If you don't own a Bible, we would love to give you one. You can go out to the info hub in our lobby after the service today. Let them know uh, that you'd like a Bible and they will give you one to keep as your own. But before we start reading in John chapter 9, let me just set the scene for you a little bit. I want to tell you about what happened one chapter earlier in John uh, chapter 9. So what we find in John chapter 9 is that Jesus has healed a man who was born blind. And after this man has received sight, uh, the religious leaders bring him in to interrogate him. Now the religious leaders, we've talked about them before, they're known as the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are doing anything that they can to bring this man's integrity into question. They're trying to punch holes in his story and they're trying to discredit this miracle of Jesus. But ultimately, they throw the man out because they can find no such evidence uh, against this man or against the miracle that Jesus has performed. And so, you know, you look at the situation, the man had obviously been blind. He can obviously now see. And if ever there was a reason to celebrate, it was then. But, But the Pharisees don't celebrate. In fact, quite the opposite. And it's because their agenda was so incredibly different than the agenda of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus cared for people. We see Jesus in the New Testament running toward the sick, running toward the needy, the broken, the lost, and he loved them. But the Pharisees loved themselves. They loved having power over people, and Jesus saw this in them. And he points out the fact. He says, you know what? This man that I healed, he was physically blind, but you suffer from a greater disability because you suffer from spiritual blindness. And Jesus is going to drive this point home in John chapter 10, and he does it using an analogy. And it's the analogy of a shepherd and his sheep. 
Now, obviously, uh, most of us are not going to connect with this analogy the way uh, that Jesus' first listeners would have connected with us. For you and I, I would guess that most of us, you know, we maybe see sheep uh, once a year at the county fair, and we're really just there for the corn dog or the elephant ear, right? Uh, but maybe we go by the sheep barn and we see a, a sheep there. Or maybe if the church goes all out and they bring in live animals for the Christmas pageant, maybe you've seen a, a sheep at a, a Christmas play. But this isn't really a, a modern-day analogy. And so we're going to have some things to learn this morning about sheep and about shepherds. But I want you to know that this was a very relevant analogy Uh, Back in Jesus' day, herding sheep was a common profession. And it's important to note that to the Jewish mind, a shepherd could represent any kind of leader. Okay, so it could be a spiritual leader, a political leader. Um, The the kings and the prophets uh, were viewed as shepherds. Psalm 100 refers to Israel as the flock of the Lord, and the Lord was their shepherd. Shepherd. And so while this was familiar to them, we're going to have some things to learn this morning about, about sheep and about shepherds to understand Jesus' answer to the question, who's going to love me? In John chapter 10, Jesus starts like this. Let's read it together, starting right in verse 1. It says, Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. And so Jesus begins by making a point. He says there's more to being a shepherd than just herding sheep. There's a relationship that's involved here. There's an intimate knowledge between the shepherd and his sheep. A good shepherd knew his sheep. And he did this in a couple of different ways. The first way was that every shepherd had a distinct mark that he would cut into one of the ears of of each of his sheep. And so even from a distance, a shepherd could see that mark on the ear and know which sheep belonged to him and which sheep didn't. The other way that a shepherd knew his sheep was by the way that they would respond to his voice. Look again at verse 3. About halfway through it says, He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Now it's important to know that a sheep pen frequently uh, held several different flocks of sheep owned by several different shepherds. And so when it came time for a a certain shepherd to come and to take his uh, sheep out to pasture, he would have to separate his sheep from all of the others. And he would do this uh, using a distinct call. It was a a call that was unique only to him. And it it sounded something like a yodeling sound, okay? I'm not going to try to make that sound for you this morning. You're just going to have to imagine it uh, in your mind. But when he would make that noise, the, the sheep that belonged to him would recognize it and they would come out to their shepherd. And the shepherd would then walk ahead of his flock and his sheep would all follow. That's why it says in verse 4, when he's brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But look at what it says next in verse 5. It says, but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they don't recognize a stranger's voice. Listen, a stranger could never lead the sheep out. So if a thief were to come and to try to steal the sheep, he would have to literally get behind them and drive them out or pick them up and carry them out one by one because they won't follow him. They don't know his voice. 
But the shepherd doesn't have to drive the sheep. He leads the sheep because he knows them and they know him. They hear his voice and they respond. Now, I want you to jump down to verse 14, and Jesus is going to pull all of this together. Why are we talking about sheep and shepherds? Well, verse 14 says this. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. And so to the question of who's going to love me, well, first, it's someone who knows me. It's someone who knows me. There's an intimacy, again, that the shepherd has with his sheep. There's that relationship and a knowing between the shepherd and his sheep. He knows them, and they know him. They recognize his voice. You know what? When my mom calls me on the phone, she doesn't have to say, this is mom, okay? She actually does say that, and it's kind of funny. I actually uh, I talked to my mom after uh, second service at Noblesville last week, and I let her know she was in my sermon, and, uh, and we quickly realized that when I call her, I also say, hey, mom, this is Ben, which is even more ridiculous because I'm my mom's only son. And so by, by the very fact that I said, hey, mom, she knows it's me or it's some other you know, man uh, pretending to be her son. But, but my mom and I, we share a closeness and an intimacy, and she knows me, and I know her. But when you think about that relationship that maybe you have with a spouse or with a loved one, and the way that you know them, that's just a fraction of the intimate knowledge that God has of you. Psalm 139 tells us that God knit us together while we are still in our mother's womb. And in Matthew 10, Jesus points out that God has even numbered the hairs on our head, or if you're like me, the hairs that used to be on your head, okay? We can go there this morning, it's okay. (laughs) Jesus is the good shepherd because he knows us. I want you to think about your own life right now. Uh, And maybe there's something going on in your life that you haven't let anyone else in on. You know, no one else knows about it. Maybe it's a financial situation. Maybe there's some sort of stress uh, going on in your life. Maybe in your home. Maybe between a spouse. Maybe with your kids. Maybe it's a part of your past. Something that you've never shared with anyone else. And you feel like this burden is yours to carry all alone. I want you to know that, that God knows everything about you. And he's not surprised by the things that you've kept a secret. Maybe you just feel uh, like you're going through life unnoticed. Like nobody notices you. No, no one really cares. I want you to know that Jesus notices you. That, that he knows you more intimately than you know yourself. And he cares about you deeply. You know, I'm afraid that when many of us think about Jesus knowing us, Um, We think about it like it's a negative thing. It's kind of like the saying on this little girl's t-shirt. says, if you pick your nose, Jesus knows. And you can thank thank Tom Anthony Photography for this picture. He saw a little girl wearing that shirt and was brave enough to walk up and and snap a picture with his phone. And that's a pretty funny t-shirt, unless it's really how we think about Jesus. Like Jesus is just watching us and he's like some kind of cosmic omniscient Santa Claus and he's making a list and checking it twice and he's going to love you based off of if you're naughty or nice. But listen, that's not why Jesus wants to know you. Jesus wants to know you because he created you. He, He wants to know you because he already loves you. Jesus doesn't love your sin, but he doesn't love you any less because of it either. And so that's why in Mark chapter 9, when we see Jesus looking out over the crowds, it says that that he saw them and he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. He says they're like sheep without a shepherd. 
Listen, a good shepherd knows his sheep. He makes that effort. He knows their strengths and their weaknesses. He knows their joys and their struggles, and he loves them regardless. And that is how Jesus knows you and me. But he goes beyond just knowing me. Jesus is also someone who will protect me. He's someone who will protect me. You know, sheep aren't particularly built for fighting. Uh, I think it's going too far to say uh, that they're absolutely defenseless. If you think about a ram, certainly a ram has its horns, and I wouldn't want to be, you know, uh, nailed by, by a, an angry ram with its horns. You think about uh, a ewe protecting her lamb when a predator comes, that, that ewe is going to do what she can to protect her young. But the reality is when a predator attacks, the sheep is probably going to lose that fight. They're just not built for fighting, and so they're going to need some protection. And the shepherd had better see his work as more than just a job because being a shepherd is going to require some risk. It's going to require some danger and some protecting. Look again at what Jesus says in verses 12 through 13. Jesus says, The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and he runs away. And then the wolf attacks the flock and he scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. So this was likely a a common problem for shepherds. They would hire men to come and help tend their flocks. Uh, But when when the, the wolf would come... Uh, the hired hand would just as likely run away from the danger as run towards it because the hired hand was there for one reason. He's there for a paycheck, right? Have you ever had a job like that? It's really just about the paycheck. And, and why would, would the hired hand risk his neck for someone else's sheep? He doesn't care about the sheep. He's going to get out of there. But a good shepherd doesn't run away from danger. In fact, quite the opposite. The good shepherd will run toward the threat. Now, I recently read a story about a man who I believe is, is a good example of a modern-day uh, good shepherd. And you may have heard uh, about this story. His, his story was highlighted on 60 Minutes. And it's the, the story of Chardon High School football coach Frank Hall and his actions during a shooting that happened at his school. And uh, this is a picture of Coach Hall. I want to just share with you a, a part of the account of his actions on that day. It says, two years ago, a student turned gunman, killed three of his fellow students, and wounded three more in Chardon, Ohio. And there would have been undoubtedly many more if Frank Hall, the assistant football coach, had not intervened. When the gunfire began, Coach Hall did the unthinkable. Instead of diving for cover, he stood up, he pushed his table out of the way, and he started pursuing the gunman. The gunman fired at him twice and missed twice. Hall kept coming, pursuing the shooter out of the building. And though he lost him in the parking lot, he successfully got him away from the students. The police apprehended the gunman in the woods soon after. And meanwhile, Coach Hall ran back inside to try and help those who were injured while they waited for emergency responders to arrive on the scene. And when Coach Hall was asked why he did what he did, he simply replied, he was hurting my kids. I had to stop him from hurting my kids. You know, a story like that can really hit close to home. I mean, we hear about these tragic events in our schools far too often, but isn't it good to know that in the midst of something like that, there are coach halls in this world who will run toward the threat 
and be a protection in that time of danger. What a picture of what it means to be a modern-day good shepherd. Those kids weren't just his students. They were his family. He knew them, he loved them, and his instinct was to protect them, to run toward the danger and to protect them. That's the character of a good shepherd. And it's the same character that we read of Jesus in the 23rd Psalm, a passage that was written centuries before Christ ever walked the earth in flesh. And we read there as David, the psalmist, wrote from the perspective of a sheep about his shepherd. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I will fear no evil. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And I I would guess that you've probably heard that verse before, but I wonder if you've ever considered what that means, specifically that part about his rod and his staff being a comfort. Well, the the shepherd's staff was a a tool of protection, and, and it was a tool of protection in a couple of different ways. First, it was a defensive weapon. So when a wolf would come and would attack the flock, the shepherd could use his staff to, to, to jab and to extend his reach. And a shepherd was a better defender with a staff in his hands than he was just barehanded. So the staff was, was a defensive weapon. But it was also a tool of protection in that it was used to correct poor behavior. And I wonder if you've ever seen a picture like this one before. This is a, a fairly common picture of Jesus, and you've maybe seen a, a picture like this. It's just Jesus hanging out with his sheep, you know, giving free piggyback rides, and uh, it looks like a good day on the pasture, right? Well, a better explanation for a picture like this one uh, is not such a happy story. In fact, the better explanation is that the shepherd is carrying that sheep because he has intentionally broken its leg. Now, why would the shepherd do that? Well, while sheep are already inherently easy targets, when they wander away from the shepherd and they wander away from the flock, they're putting themselves into even greater danger. And so the shepherd would use his staff to gently prod and to set boundaries for his sheep. But when there was a repeat offender, a sheep that just continued to wander away from the flock, the shepherd would take even more extreme measures. And he would take his rod, he would take his staff, and he would break that sheep's leg. And this would mean that the sheep was going to have to rely on the shepherd for everything. The, the sheep was going to have to be in close proximity to the shepherd. It was going to have to learn to trust his voice. And he's going to have to trust the shepherd for everything. And that's why we see the shepherd carrying that sheep. So, so the shepherd's staff was a tool for protection in that it was used for correction. You know, as we read on in the 23rd Psalm, Uh, We also read David speaking of the Lord, his shepherd, and he says this. He says, you anoint my head with oil. And there's a significant meaning to that as well. Again, David is writing from the perspective of a sheep about the Lord, his shepherd. And what we know about sheep is that they are pestered by something called a nose fly. And let me just tell you, if you're not interested in eating lunch today, you can Google sheep nose fly and just look at some of the stuff that comes up. I did that in preparing for this message, and it's absolutely disgusting. So if you have a weak stomach, you might want to plug your ears right now. I saw some women about to faint last week as I described this. But what happens is this nose fly will come, and it will land on the nose of the sheep. And it'll crawl up inside the sheep's nose, and it'll lay its eggs on the warm, soft, moist membranes of the sheep's nose. And those eggs will incubate in there, and they'll eventually hatch, and they'll be crawling around and wiggling around in there. And this drives the sheep crazy. 
And so a sheep, if you see a sheep just grinding its head into the ground or, or banging its nose against rocks, it's likely infected by a nose fly. And the sheep will oftentimes die just trying to get that irritation, trying to get that, that fly to stop irritating the inside of their nose. Well, shepherds knew that this was a problem. And so they would take a special kind of oil and pour it over the head of the sheep. And that oil acted as kind of a, a, an original form of deep woods off, if you will. Okay? It, it just repelled insects. It repelled this nose fly. And so that's why David would write something like, you anoint my head with oil. Because being a shepherd himself, David knew that the good shepherd cared for and protected his sheep even from something like a nose fly. Now, how does this relate to us today? How does our good shepherd protect us? Well, I think his protection plays out in our lives a couple of different ways. The, the first way is his physical protection over us. And, and I think this is probably the kind of protection that we think about the most. It's certainly uh, the protection that we pray about the most. You know, it has to do with uh, preserving our lives. It has to do with, you know, recovering from illness. It has to do with uh, the physical things that we need to, that we pray to God for. And I would guess in a room this size uh, that there would be many different stories of the Lord's physical protection over you or over someone that you love. It was a tumor that was obviously there. And then on the next test, it was gone. It, it was an illness that, that was said uh, was going to be terminal. And then the person just was healed. You know, it, it was the, the bills that, that were piling up and, and that check that came in the mail at just the right time for just the right amount. I mean, these would all be examples of the Lord's physical protection over us. But can I tell you something? I think the Lord's physical protection in its, in its greater sense and our greater understanding of it, I think it goes unnoticed in our lives most of the time. I mean, I think we just take it for granted. I mean, really, any day that we make it through, that our head hits that pillow one more time, is just a picture of God's grace and his physical protection over us. I mean, we approach this life as if we're so unstoppable, so invincible. We're going to live forever. We have all the time in the world. But the Bible tells us something very different. The, the Bible tells us in the book of James that our lives, they're like a mist. We're here today and we're gone tomorrow. And it speaks of our temporary nature here on earth. And, and so I think we would do well just to view every day that God gives us to, to love our spouse, to love our kids, to love the people that he's put around us, to love him as a gift from the Lord and a picture of his physical protection over us. So God's protection comes in, in a physical sense, but there's also an aspect of his protection that is spiritual. The Bible is clear about the cause of our struggles here on earth. Ephesians 6.12, it tells us this. It says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You know, we get so caught up with what we can see with our physical eyes, the things that are going on around us in the physical realm. But the heart of the battle is not physical. The heart of the battle is spiritual. And in the midst of that battle, we're also given this promise in 2 Thessalonians 3.3, 3, that the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. And you know, you may be struggling to see the Lord's protection in your life. You may be thinking, you know, he hasn't been the good shepherd to me. What about my financial struggles? 
You know, those bills do keep coming and and the creditors are starting to call and the money just isn't there. Where's God's protection in something like that? What about my broken relationship? You know, he said he loved me. She said she'd never leave me. Now I'm alone and I'm wondering, where is the good shepherd? Where's his protection over me? What about this illness? You know, why doesn't God just heal me or heal my spouse or heal my kids? Where's his protection in that? Why are my circumstances what they are? And I would say to you this morning, I don't know. I don't know why God would choose to heal one person and not another. I don't know why his provision seems abundant in one person's life and not in another. I don't know why your specific circumstances are what they are. But there is one thing that I know for certain, and it is this, that God's primary concern is not for our temporary comfort, but rather for our eternal destiny and his eternal glory. That's why when we read a a passage like Romans 8.28, that we can read, and, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called, who have been called according to his purpose. That when we read a passage like that, that we can know that the good shepherd is personally involved in our lives, and the truth of his word is not threatened by our circumstances. It's not. God is taking the things that the devil intended for your harm, and he is working them for your good and his glory. And your circumstances may make absolutely no sense this side of heaven, but you can know that the good shepherd knows you. He knows your situation, that he is is a shepherd who will protect you because ultimately he is someone who will give his life for you. He's someone who will give his life for you. That's exactly what Jesus, the good shepherd, did for us. Look again at John chapter 10, uh, back to verse 7. It says this, Therefore Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, what does this mean when Jesus says, I am the gate for the sheep? Well, let me show you a picture of what Jesus is describing here. This is a a picture of a sheep pen, and the sheep pen was, was usually a rough stone structure, And it had one entrance through which the sheep could go in and come out. And so what would happen is when the sheep would bring, or the shepherd would bring his sheep in from pasture, he would would lead them into the pen, and then he would physically lay down in that opening to protect them from any kind of, of thief that might come or any predator that might attack. And in doing that, the shepherd would literally become the gate to the sheep pen. And so think about the imagery that Jesus is portraying here, that by laying down his own life, we can now enter into an eternal relationship with God the Father through Jesus the gate. That's why Jesus can say, no one comes to the Father except through me. I'm the gate. Look a little farther down at verse 17 and 18. Jesus says this, the reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. 
This command I've received from my Father. Jesus is talking about his death and his defeat of death and his resurrection. It's Jesus Christ, the perfect, sinless Son of God, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. But instead he made himself nothing. And he took on flesh. And being found in form as a human, he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And he did it so that you and I could enter into a relationship with God the Father, that our sins could be forgiven, that we could have hope and freedom through Jesus Christ. And where for centuries the blood of an innocent sheep or lamb atoned for uh, the sins of the people, all of that changed when Jesus came on the scene. In the Old Testament, what we find is the sheep laying his life down for the shepherd. But in the New Testament, what we find is the good shepherd laying his life down for the sheep. And Jesus said later in the book of John, he said, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And then Jesus practiced what he preached, and he went to the cross, and he became the gate through which we could enter into a relationship with God, the Father. So who's going to love me? Well, it's someone who knows you. It's someone who will protect you. And it's someone who gave his life for you. It's the chosen one. It's the good shepherd. It's Jesus Christ. And maybe you're here today and and you realize that you're living life very much like Jesus described in, in Mark chapter 9, that you're living life like a sheep without a shepherd. And maybe at some point you knew the shepherd, but you've wandered away. Or maybe, maybe you've never known the shepherd at all. And I want you to know this morning that God's love for you is greater than your greatest mistake. Don't rush past that. God's love for you is greater than your greatest mistake. His arms are open wide to you and he has done everything necessary to allow you to come back into a relationship with himself. Everything. Our response is just to respond. The Bible says that if we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that Jesus is the Christ, that we will be saved. And that's just the beginning. And he takes us from there and he sanctifies us and he purifies us. He makes us more and more into the likeness of his son. But it starts with a simple step of submitting to the leadership of the shepherd. And maybe that's your step this morning. I want you to know that, uh, that as we move into a time of worship now, we're going we're gonna to sing some songs and just celebrate who Christ is, what God has done for us his great love for us, that as we do that, there's going to be some folks on each side of the room this morning. Uh, They're a part of our prayer team. They'll be wearing name tags. You'll know who they are. That if you've never submitted to Christ's lordship in your life before, that you can do that this morning, that you can begin a relationship with him, that you can know the good shepherd in your life, and that you can have this hope and this freedom that he has come to offer. Let me pray for us this morning. Father God, we... uh, We thank you so much, and we just stand in awe of your son, Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, of his sacrifice, laying down his own life. God, not considering equality with you something to be grasped or something to be used to his own advantage, but that he would lay it down in obedience to you and out of love for us, that he could become the gate, that we could know hope and freedom from our sins. 
God, that, that hope of future glory, that we will spend eternity with you in a place where there will be no more sadness, no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more pain, that that's what you have prepared for those of us uh, who are in Christ Jesus. And thank you uh, for opening the gate wide for us to know that hope. Lord, I pray if there are folks here this morning uh, who are living like sheep without a shepherd, that you would give them boldness, that your spirit would be moving in their hearts just now. And Father, that they would take that step toward you, toward submission to your uh, best for their life. And God, that they would enter into a relationship through Jesus Christ of knowing you and knowing hope and knowing freedom this morning. It's in Christ's name that we pray these things. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand with us as we sing. And again, if if you need to take a step toward the Good Shepherd this morning, as we sing, I want to invite you to move off to the sides to find someone from our prayer team to pray uh, with you this morning and to help you take that next step in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's sing together.